The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. The Jewish people have a saying. I believe with complete faith in the coming of the Messiah. And even though he may delay, nevertheless, I anticipate every day that he will come. Well, they missed his first coming, so they believe he's still yet to come for the first time, when in fact, I believe with complete faith that Messiah is coming the second time. I have no doubts about this because of the infallibility of this word of God, which affirms that he's already come and he is coming again to set up the kingdom for Israel. And I also have complete faith about the second coming because of the integrity of the word of Jesus himself. He said, I will come again, and his appearing is nearer today than it was yesterday. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. The first time Jesus came to earth on his mission to make atonement for Israel and mankind, the world was caught short. Israel especially wasn't ready, but Israel should have been ready to welcome him with proverbial bells. This is because the prophet Daniel had been given an exact timeline in Daniel chapter nine of the time when Messiah would be cut off and die to make atonement. And the other Hebrew prophets recorded the major signposts of his coming. So the majority of the people of Jesus' generation simply were not prepared. Only some wise and old consecrated prophets in God's temple, Simeon and Anna, seemed to be attuned to the times, as well as the wise men from the East who had been taught by the prophet Daniel's teachings to discern when it was time for the king to be born. The question is, if the world for the most part missed his first coming, Will the world be any more ready for the Lord's second coming? Well, sadly, Scripture indicates the answer is no. However, that doesn't stop you and me from being alert and prepared. The Hebrew prophets gave plenty of signs that would tell the Jewish nation when the Messiah would appear. For example, a forerunner was prophesied who was to be a voice crying in the wilderness in John the Baptist fulfilled that role. The prophet Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He was to be, Isaiah said, virgin born and a descendant of King David. Jesus fulfilled all of that, but tragically, as the apostle John wrote, he came unto his own and his own received him not. He was in the world and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not let me. Behold, he said, your house will be left desolate until you can say, Baruch, Habba, Beishem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As an evangelist, it's a grave concern to me that all the signs indicate Jesus' return is near, yet the world, even the church, is sleepwalking and not prepared. Instead, tragically, Israel and the world are geared up to accept a false Messiah. 
The scriptures tell us that Jesus will come as a thief in the night. And what's scary is that many of the churches will be unprepared. The Lord's disciples were eager to ask him, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And the Lord told them repeatedly that his return will be sudden and unexpected, but that we will know the general time because of end time signs that he gave, such as Jerusalem being once again under Jewish sovereignty, which we have seen in our lifetime. Jesus called the multiple earthquakes, wars, and signs such as the nation of Israel blossoming like a fig tree, the birth pains that will lead up to the birth of the kingdom of God. Jesus gave his disciples his own sermon on the second coming. It's called the Olivet Discourse, and it was full of end-time signs to watch. And then he followed up his end-time briefing with an important lesson in Matthew 25, known as the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. It's a stark warning for professing believers to be ready. In this parable in Matthew 25, Jesus likened saving grace to oil in lamps, and professing believers were likened to virgins. And by the way, the analogy of virgins applies to both men and women. But shockingly, half of the wedding party was eliminated. It's been said that an army, in this case the church, would be extremely cautious if it knew beforehand that half of its ranks would be eliminated. But the church is sleepwalking through the end times. Now Jesus told this parable in the context of a Middle Eastern wedding. Then he said, shall the kingdom of heaven be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. The word for wise here in the original means prudent, but five were moros, a Greek word from which we get the word moron or stupid. The five who were stupid took their lamps, but took no olive oil to replenish their lamps. But the wise virgins carried vessels containing oil to replenish their lamps. It says, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And this was not a rebuke by Jesus in this particular parable for being asleep. It just means that life carried on during the bridegroom's delay. But the wise virgins were prepared while they slept, and the foolish virgins were unprepared while they slept. And at midnight, there was suddenly a cry, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, No, we can't. There won't be enough. But go, buy for yourselves. Now let's hang on for a minute. Do you think the wise virgins were selfish because they refused to share their olive oil? If you think that, you don't really understand the gospel and saving grace. Because you see, salvation is non-transferable. You simply can't ride to heaven on somebody else's coattails, not even the coattails of a godly mother. Philosophy won't save you, and reciting the Apostles' Creed or memorizing the Nicene Creed won't save you. 
You must know the Lord. You must have intimate fellowship with him. As the Apostle Paul admonished, I must know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That's a relationship, not religion. You see, religion can be deadly. We have to know the Lord. That means, figuratively speaking, everybody has to have his or her own oil. Everybody must have their own salvation experience and know Jesus personally. Some of the godliest prophets and preachers throughout history sometimes had a degenerate, uh, backslidden child, and all of their righteousness was not enough to save their prodigal children. We must all individually have the Lord's righteousness imputed to us. That means imparted to us by faith. Well, carrying on in verse 10 of Matthew 25, Jesus continued, And while the foolish virgins went to buy oil, the bridegroom came, and the wise virgins who were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Shut doors can be very dangerous in the Bible. I'd like to ask Bible students, does the shut door in this parable remind you of anything? Well, Jesus said earlier in chapter 24 that conditions when he comes will be like the days of Noah. They'll be eating, drinking, and marrying business as usual. But God shut the door on Noah's ark, and only Noah and his family survived the flood. Can you imagine how Noah's contemporaries who were shut out clamored to get inside the ark when the rain wouldn't stop? The scoffers who had mocked Noah now scratched and banged on the ark, but it was too late. Antediluvians didn't even know how to swim. Well, continuing on in the parable, Jesus said later the other virgins, the foolish ones, came to the shut door begging, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say unto you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, he said, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man comes. Now, my friends, this is a most frightening parable because it reveals that a large number of people and churchgoers who profess to be followers of Jesus, who look like followers of Jesus, aren't going to be ready for his return. The purpose of the parable is to impress upon our minds the suddenness and the unexpectedness of the Lord's second coming and it's a dire warning to be prepared and to be sure that we're really saved. The jolting thing is that half of the virgins were shut out, and they were given no second chance once the door was shut tight, and there were no side entrances for latecomers. That's chilling. We just can't warn the world enough. And God, we just plead in your mercy, wake people up out of their stupor. The bridegroom is at hand. Well, I've been privileged over the years to attend a number of exciting Jewish and Middle Eastern weddings and Asian weddings, and they all took place at night, just as in Jesus' parable. Even today, there are still many similarities to the very scene described by the Lord. And it's a vivid picture of the way Jesus, the bridegroom, will collect his bride for the marriage supper of the Lamb. I've witnessed the spectacle in Israel and Eastern nations and the bridegroom on his way to collect the bride. We didn't know exactly when the bridegroom would arrive, 
But we waited with candles and lamps as the bridegroom, attended by many family and friends, dressed in Eastern finery, sometimes riding decorated horses and carrying torches. And in Northern India, we saw them carrying elegant candelabrum. The wedding procession approached with drums beating joyously and horns blowing. When the bride's attendants caught sight of the wedding procession, they began to shout, he's coming. And suddenly the bridegroom came and swept up his bride and the door to the bridal chamber was shut. Think of those who were shut out in the Lord's parable. They all carried torches. In fact, the stupid ones looked like the wise. On the outside, they looked indistinguishable, but they were not all alike. And that's the scary moral of the parable. They all had outward signs of commitment, but inwardly, they were not the same. They were not real disciples. They were as different as stupid is from wise. And what was the difference? The foolish virgins were oilless. The oil in this parable represents saving grace, which makes a difference of whether you truly belong to the Lord or don't. And the Lord knows those who are his own. He knows if you and I are wise or foolish. Many honor the Lord with lip service, but their hearts are far from him. They're unregenerate. They've never really known him. Now, the oil in this parable is comparable to the wedding garment in another parable that Jesus told, the parable of the wedding banquet found in Matthew 22. In that parable, a king representing God plans a wedding for his son, representing Jesus, and as the king surveys his guests, he sees a man not wearing a wedding garment. The wedding garment represents imputed righteousness, the righteousness that we cannot earn, but that's given to us as a free gift, a free garment of salvation by the bridegroom Jesus. The improperly attired guest was not allowed to crash the wedding. The king said, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so the application is that imputed righteousness represented by the wedding garment and the oil in the lamps is absolutely necessary for salvation. We can't make ourselves righteous. We must receive the free gift of forgiveness and the righteousness of God through the merits of Jesus, our Savior. He paid for our salvation by his precious, sinless blood at the cross and by the travail of his soul. Now, in 2 Timothy 3.5, the Apostle Paul described the type of people who are the foolish virgins. Paul said they have an outward form of godliness, but inside they're empty of the power of God. The foolish virgins may have looked like believers externally, but they had no genuine internal connection with the risen Lord. They could mentally assent to God's laws, but they had no living relationship with the Lord. You see, throughout the New Testament, this need to know Jesus personally is his constant theme. He said, my sheep know my voice and another they will not follow. 
And in another parable, Jesus advised to allow the wheat and tares, which both look alike, to grow up together. We must wait patiently into the coming of the Lord to distinguish and destroy the tares. If we try to pull up the tares prematurely, we could destroy the wheat. It's alarming that Jesus clearly reveals in all of these parables that the churches are filled with tares, with foolish people who are simply not prepared for the Lord's coming, or they're not prepared to meet God at death. They may appear to be believers, but they're deceived into a false security by trusting in religion rather than the Savior. And so at the rapture, they'll be left behind. What can I do to warn the world except to say that Jesus repeatedly forewarned us through various parables and teachings that there will be multitudes living in a dream world, a world of deception, and they'll be unprepared to meet God. In fact, some of the scariest words in the New Testament are found in Luke 6.46, where the Lord says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Or, as Matthew 7.21 records, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And what is the will of the Father? Jesus said the will of the Father is for us to believe on him, to believe on Jesus, whom the Father sent. Jesus continued to warn the world in the Gospels. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? But he said, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Those are scary words, so different from the feel-good, user-friendly gospel preached in many pulpits today. Yet the parable of the ten virgins teaches us that one night the marriage supper of the Lamb will begin unexpectedly, and only the prepared, only the redeemed, will enter into the joy of that glorious wedding. The latecomers will knock on the door and cry, Lord, Lord, open to us, let us in. Aren't we your friends? Aren't we entitled to be in the wedding party? They will cry, I was a member of such and such church or fellowship. I did many acts of charity. My parents, my grandparents were great believers. They took me to church and so on and so forth. They'll try to argue how involved they were with Christianity or churchianity. But the Lord's answer is the same to all of them. Truly, I tell you, I never knew you. That's staggeringly honest. I hope you will never hear those haunting words from the Lord. I never knew you. Now is the time to get to know him. It's so urgent. The door is still open now, but it'll be shut soon. There's still room at the cross for you for salvation. So don't hesitate. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart because God never promised us tomorrow. The Bible says today, not tomorrow, is the day of salvation. These warnings about being shut out run all through the New Testament. As Jesus was going through the towns and villages teaching, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? A very interesting question. And his answer is very notable because Jesus didn't give percentages as his answer. 
He just gave a warning as his reply. He said, strive, make every effort to enter into at the narrow gate, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able once the owner of the house gets up and shuts the door. You will be standing outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door to us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you've come from. Then Jesus said, you will say, we ate and drank with you. I wonder if that's some sort of reference to unbelievers partaking of the Lord's table. And they'll say, you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you and where you've come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. He said, when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are thrown out. Then, describing the redeemed from the nations, sitting down at the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus prophesied magnificent words. People will come from east and west and north and south and take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. So if we want to be there representing all the nations, the invitation has gone out and it's free. We just need to humble ourselves and receive the Savior now. In Luke 21, Jesus gave the same warning, but with a promise for those who have ears to hear. He said, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, with drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close in on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the earth, he said. Be always on your watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So let's not be caught unawares. Let's not be caught unprepared. That's the message for every true watchman. The shut door is scary in the parable of the ten virgins, but now... Let's take a look at it from another angle. In Revelation chapter 3, it's Jesus who stands outside of the door of the backslidden Laodicean church. And he's the one doing the knocking. He says in verse 19, Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This Bible idiom of eating and dining together, especially in the Middle East, implies close fellowship. So let's open the door of our hearts to the risen Savior. But in heaven, sinners are going to be completely shut out. They'll never be able to visit or defile heaven throughout all of eternity. Their probation on earth will soon end. All the means of grace will soon pass away. The dispensation of the gospel will close. The Spirit one day will stop striving with men. As I was studying Bible commentaries this week, I read that Adam and Eve were placed by God in paradise, but the door was left open and Satan slipped in to tempt them. But in heaven, glorified, redeemed believers will be safely shut in. The wise will be secure forever in the presence of the Lord. You see, Revelation 22 describes a scene in heaven where the Lord says, Outside are the dogs, 
who are who are the dogs? He's not speaking of some cute, cuddly household pet, but the vicious junkyard type that the Jews considered to be unclean. Outside are the dogs and those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices a lie. Solemn words. So now I pray that no one within the sound of my voice is deceived, that nobody watching or listening to this broadcast will be oilless or missing their wedding garment. I spent time discussing the Lord's warnings today, and so now it's important to tell you how to get ready for his sudden appearing. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, the Apostle Paul admonishes us wisely to take time to examine ourselves to see whether we're really in the faith. We must stop to test ourselves. Refuse to sleep away the day of grace. Paul asked the Corinthians, do you not realize that Messiah Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, he said, you failed the test. And so here's how not to fail the test. Romans 10.9 promises, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Hallelujah. So I invite you to receive the Lord now. He's waiting. He's knocking. He wants to receive you no matter your religious or ethnic background. Amen. Well, today I've dared to share the Bible's scariest teaching, but when we know the Lord, we don't have to be afraid. We are eternally secure. God's word says we shouldn't be fearful that the day of the Lord will not overtake true believers like a thief. And in the meantime, let's be strong and do the exploits that the Lord calls each one of us to do individually to fulfill. I'd like to stay in contact with you on the social media or at our website at exploits.tv where you can sign up to receive our free color magazine, Exploits. A reminder also that our Jerusalem Channel app is available free to download from your app store to watch our videos at any time. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg. Shalom and Maranatha. Here at the Jerusalem Channel, we work hard to keep you informed and up to date on prophetic end time events in the Holy Land. But we also see so many great humanitarian needs. And that's why your support is helping to keep this ministry lifting up the name of the Lord in the Middle East. One of our most recent projects was to donate and dedicate a fully equipped ambulance to Israel's National Volunteer Rescue Service. The ambulance is available to assist everyone, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and yes, even tourists who might need medical assistance. So thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel by your gifts through our website or through our ministry addresses in the USA and the United Kingdom. Please help us to be a blessing to all the people of the Holy Land.